You're listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast, discussing all aspects of precision and long-range rifle shooting. This episode is brought to you by Impact Dynamics, advanced training for the precision shooter. And now, over to your hosts. Welcome to the Precision Shooting Podcast. This is episode number 16. I'm Rusty, and with me here is uh, Andrew. How you doing, Rusty? Good, mate. And over there is Greg. How's it going, Greg? Yeah, good, Rusty. Yourself? Excellent. Thanks for coming in tonight, guys, and uh, talking guns again. How's your week been? Not too bad. Not too bad. Had a bit yeah. of a short one, so last week. Oh, uh, yeah, of course. Easter. Yeah, and yeah, that was the weekend before, I reckon. Yeah, but last week was short because of Easter, wasn't it? True. Monday? True. Yeah. Yeah, but also made it shorter by taking holidays. So. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah that will do it as well. No, Good. And I went shooting too, so. Well, that's probably the most important part of the last 30 seconds. The most important yeah, part, yeah. D- definitely. What about you, Greg? Yeah, no. Did you have Easter as well, or were you on holidays? Yeah, I was on holidays. <laughs> okay, good. And, um, yeah, got out shooting as well. So, oh, wow. Yeah, no, pretty happy. In fact, it was with you guys. So, um, yeah, no, it was a good weekend. Yeah, that's right. We all went, we all sort of went shooting together. Yeah. The same but, location at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, we certainly had a few drinks the night before um, together, and then later on the next day, mm. you guys, you, you shot... And we shot separately, but we did some shooting. It yes. was uh, it was good fun. What did you end up shooting, Greg? Um, I had to get a two two three up just for a property that night. Yep, um, a smaller property. Did you go? Did you get down? I to did the property? go. It ended up being a um, property that I couldn't shoot on because there was a lot of horses in the vicinity. So, brumbies, I, wild brumbies. No, well, race horses. Oh. Um, Disappointing. So in the end, that, that'll be a trapping property. Okay. Um, so there'll, there'll be no guns there. Never trapped um, horses before. Mm. But I got the, um, yeah, I'm not trapping horses. <laughs> I don't need any pet food right now. Oh, righto. But, yeah. um, no lasagna? No. Good. But uh, I shot the 243, which I was really happy with that. Got out to 750 fairly comfortably, actually, before the wind got up. Yeah, right. Um, yep. And then the wind came up pretty quick, didn't That's it, Andrew? with your BSA. Yeah, it did. Yeah. I think what well, we noticed that, uh, that day, Rusty even was... Even later in the day, the wind kept up and got stronger, but it didn't switch a lot. It was uh, it was very unusual for that place. It sort of varied between in its strength, but it mm. didn't switch directions, which sort of made it uh, a little bit easier to get some less experienced shooters on target at, at a thousand metres. So yeah, it was, it was good. Wrapped mm. with that, we got four, or five, five guys who of guys and girls who had not really shot much before and all hitting thousand metres, yeah. mostly multiple times. Yeah, it was. In the conditions, pretty good. Mm. Yeah, it was mm. good, good fun as well. Great to see the, uh, great to see the smiles on their faces. It yeah, was, uh, I think from the sounds of it, you got two that you definitely got the bug. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah certainly. Oh, there was at least one, one of the other customers there was very, very. Uh, yeah, no, nah, they, uh, they, they were keen. They were mm. great. So mm. it was, uh, it was good to get out. Good to get some more people into the, uh, into the sport, and enjoying it. Mm. Yeah, it was, uh, it was good fun, and um, I, I managed to get five shots off the next day. Um, a whole about, five, <laughs> a whole five. Yeah, I hope you savoured those five. I did, mate. Put yeah. them all on a, put them. Well, put almost all of them on a thousand. But anyway, it was good. Good first fun. one. Sorry, first one, first shot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. nice, yeah. nice. Yeah, it was very re- rewarding as it usually is. Yep. And um, oh, you got a shot, didn't you, Andrew? Then yeah, I had a, had a few shots Saturday. at the end of the day on Saturday. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it was, it's always good, good fun. And we had yeah, a couple of guys out on courses the next day, and got one of them out to a mile on his first day out. Oh really? Yeah. What was he? Uh, was that with your rifles? No, no, that was a three hundred Win Mag in a HS Precision with a uh, Gen two Vortex on on top. So it was a nice, you know, it was a mm, nice mm, setup. That's a um, nice setup. Yeah. And uh, running one one ninety grain 
nozzles. Oh, so, yeah. Interesting yep. choice. Mm. Yeah. But it seemed to work. Yeah, sure. The, gu- the, the gun grouped really well the whole day. Yep. Mm. Did everything oh, it should. Mm. Brilliant. Well, we've got some stuff to talk about tonight. Um, that uh, I got my hands on one of those uh, Bushnell Connex rangefinders. Well, I didn't, I didn't buy one. I got to play with one for a little while. Um, and it was because uh, I know Greg, you've been keen on, well, you've been thinking about oh, them for a while. I've been watching them since they announced them. Basically, I think a shot show ago, um, or maybe even two. Um, I've been waiting for them to come out in Australia, and I, I'm, I'm really uh, intrigued by the whole Bluetooth connectivity between you know ballistic computer and rangefinder, and, and just being able to to link everything together. So I, I've, I was very keen on them, but they kept delaying the release date in Australia. So I actually went yeah. for something else. Okay, but um, as, as we both know, they are released now. So um, yeah, you've just sold a few over the counter recently, haven't you? Yeah, or just mm. um, that that one I managed to. Get get a chance to have a trial with it and um i didn't get to connect it to a kestrel um because mm. i haven't got an appropriate uh appropriate model kestrel to do so but um i did connect it to my phone it's got the option in there to put in a custom drop table uh which is at about 600 yards or meters i, I forget mm-hmm. um that was quite good and it would actually bring up what your drop was so you'd, you'd range find something at whatever distance it was and it would yep. then tell you what your drop was uh, so, for it. So your phone doesn't have a ballistic calculator in it, so to speak. You would it get just the, had the app, the, the, the Bushnell data. app. Oh, Bushnell has an app? Yeah, it, but you're right. It didn't have um, – well, it did have some profiles preset with, with certain drops in them, yep. but I, I personally I never really trust those. I always yeah. like to get my own data. Yep. So you get your own data from wherever you get it from, put mm. it into the Bushnell app, and then it will come up in your rangefinder depending on um, – uh, depending on what you're, you're ranging. Yep. yep. I guess, Greg, um, probably for, for listeners that aren't 100% aware of the, the particular model you're talking about, um, maybe it might be a good idea to explain a little more detail as to the differences between, say, this model from Bushnell as opposed to some of their previous models. Oh, yeah, okay. So Bushnell released the, the one mile, is it just called the one mile, isn't it? One mile. Arc. Ah, yeah. yeah, that's right. Or they've had a fusion. They've had a different, a few different names, so they have different variants. Yeah. but it's always been around that one mile sort of distance. Yep. So this this Connex is basically modelled straight over the top of that, but with Bluetooth connectivity. Yep. And I think it uses the low power Bluetooth, which is what the Kestrels use. So you can actually connect to Kestrel. Um, yeah, nice. The older one, you know, they're a pretty solid rangefinder in terms, you know, sort of your out to a mile. Um, so for most hunting and, and shooting applications, they're pretty good. Yep. The old one had generic profiles in it, so you sort of pick the most appropriate profile for your drops that you're experiencing, but it's they're never really a perfect fit. Still compromising. Yeah, still compromising, but yeah, probably for shorter range stuff like spotlighting and stuff like that, quite good. Yep. Um, but when you start to reach out, you start to see that error um, come into it. Um, so fundamentally, that's that's really all there is to it. They've just um, added this connectivity and ability to be able to put in these um, custom profiles. Mm. And it, and as well, now correct me if I'm wrong here, but I'm, I'm fairly sure when you connect to one of the Kestrel elites um, and you, you hit a range to a target, um, it'll actually put that range into the Kestrel data. Yes. 
and um, actually bring back to the rangefinder the actual drop based on the Kestrel data? Yeah, I, I didn't get the chance to test it, but as far as I'm aware, that's what happens. Yeah, and yeah. also I think the inclination data from the... Yeah. From the, yep, so the it does all that cosine stuff as well. Mm. So, yeah, pretty good. Do you, do you know, Greg, offhand, whether it also um, gives you the wind data? Obviously, because Kestrel, that's its was its primary function, to obtain yeah, wind information. So I, I believe if you do have your Kestrel in the weather vane and you're actually measuring wind and you've got to set up for crosswind, I guess. Yep. Um, yeah, because the Kestrel would need to know where your target is. It needs mm. to know what angle your target's at compared to what angle the wind's coming in. So yep. it'd have to be a range scenario for that case. But um, it does, the Kestrel obviously has the ownership of the wind. And if you're interacting with the, the ballistic computer on the Kestrel, it should be able to pass that information back. But I'm just not sure how that plays out. So really have to um, try and get our hands on these these units or one of these units and, and have a play, really. Well, I think uh, one of the competitors who will be shooting at the Precision Rifle Invitational has just purchased one, so I'm That's 100% right. yeah. sure yeah, he will yeah. have it there. Yep. Yeah, the challenge will be to get a um, a Kestrel there that we can connect it to to have a bit of a play. Um, I'm just looking on their website at the moment for Bushnell, and I can't see what it does with the wind side of things from the Kestrel. Um, mm. It doesn't tell me, but I guess we... Um, if we can get one together, which I think we hopefully can, uh, we should be able to tidy that all up. Yeah, put it through its paces. Yep. It, it, what is interesting is that I know that uh, Vectronics have had this sort of interface with uh, with wind and, and whatnot for, for some time. Mm. You're talking about you know, real high-end range-finding equipment yep. dollar-wise, and it's just interesting to see it coming into a, a lot more affordable package. Yeah. I, I think that you know, once the technology and it's advancing all the time... Yeah, I think interesting will, to see what we're gonna what we're gonna have in two, five, ten years time. Yeah, I really think um, wind, you know, laser wind range, readers. Well, that's, surely yeah, that, I'm, that I'm is, up for that. That that's is where it's know, going. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah. There's a lot of talk of that on some of the other podcasts. I think about yeah being the, studied for military use. I think at this stage. Yeah, who knows when it will make its way down to a civilian level? But it's yeah, it'd yeah. certainly be interesting to uh, to look into. Mm. Yeah, yeah but, I think the, the Israelis are definitely uh, looking at it, and presumably the US. Yep. would be as well, so in so, 20 yeah. years we'll have it. <laughs> so I guess, I guess potentially, I don't, I don't know whether I'll turn out to be right or wrong, but it just seems to be the start of more uh, connectivity between devices. I think, I think you're going to turn out to be right with that, Greg, because yeah. there's certainly more and more. Uh, everything seems to be wanting to talk to each other. Yeah, mm. so that, you know, potentially you know, app-driven appliances that interact with like sort of displays giving yep. you all the data you need so whether it goes down that line we'll, we'll have to wait and see well the you know some of the the systems that tracking point are, are uh, you know have out now are you know very much uh going down that line of taking shooter error mm. you know ability to to make judgment on a on range and wind and that sort of thing out of the equation so yeah yep. absolutely it'd be a that's going to save save a bit of time. We can just sit down at the pub and uh, have our rifles just compete for us. Yeah. It's going to be good. That's it. Who's got the best ballistic app or something like that? <laughs> that's right. Who's, yeah. set, who's done their settings correctly? Yeah, and, that's uh, it. Yeah, that's it. Oh, well. <laughs> anyway, one day. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. Um, the other the other little product I got a, a chance to try um, is the GRS Berserk, which I actually bought for a Hower uh, of mine. Um, which is a stock, one of the GRS-style-looking stocks with adjustable length of pull and adjustable cheek, um, but it's a polymer stock, 
Um, and it's uh, I found it really comfortable myself. Yeah, yeah. I, you tried it? Yeah, I did. Yeah, it. Um, for me, the the particular rifle wasn't set up super well with the scope height, but it was very comfortable to shoulder. Yep. You know, if it was my rifle, I'd set the scope height and the you know the, the eye relief for me, but. To yeah, shoulder it's only, that. It's only because I've got a pretty messed up eye relief for some reason. But yeah, and I've got a rugby player's neck, so. Um, <laughs> but it was. But a gentleman's beard, I must say, a gentleman's beard. <laughs> yes, it's coming along nicely. Absolutely. But no, it was very comfortable stock, and it seemed solid. I mean, I, you would have seen a lot of polymer stocks that come out on factory guns are very oh, flimsy yeah. in the forend. Yeah, mm, it'd well, be interesting true. to try a you know heavy barrel barrel action in there mm. to to sort of see what you know effect that stock would have on accuracy over say a. You know, one of their laminates or a, yeah. you know, a chassis or something like that. It seems solid. Mm. I was impressed. Yeah, and it is recommended to bed them in, which I haven't done. I just bolted it in for the time being, but we'll we'll bed it in uh, once mm. I'm convinced it's going to stay on there. Um, but uh, yeah, really comfortable to at least get your positioning correctly with uh, you know with, with everything adjustable, and it's what's under seven hundred bucks, I think. So yeah, I mean, I had a good look at the fore end of it, and it seemed solid, solid? like a lot more solid than a you know like a cheap blow molded factory stock. Yeah, yeah, well, so, a good upgrade. It was a Hogue stock on there before, so look, anything probably just a plank of wood is a is a good improvement. <laughs> um, I mean it, that that uh, that GRS stock looks pretty good too. I mm. I appreciated the look of it more than the laminates. I wasn't real fussed on the laminates, but yep, yeah. I, I did also notice that um, you know a lot of the new shooters really comfortably got in behind that that rifle quite mm. easily. Without much awkwardness at all, that quite often new shooters that they, they they struggle to get that nice comfortable position. Yeah, I think um, I mean with the exception of one left-hander, but with for the rest of them, the the stock. If anyone's used a GRS stock, you, you only really get one choice of how you put your hand on it, mm. um, and so that that sort of gravitates them to put their right hand on there properly, mm. um, which then well, lends lends to the the whole thing coming together quite well. More to the top, more to the point, it, it makes them put the hand there consistently. Yeah, yeah, true. And I, I've noticed, yeah. and, and I think even on Saturday we had some of the shooters, even with a with a thumb hole stock, they weren't wanting to put their thumb through the thumb hole and and grasp hold that pistol grip. They were kind of still wanting to hold it from the side, and yeah. Whereas that GRS stock, it really sort of made you, it, made yeah, you hold it the right way. You, yeah, you had to. So. Um, oh, yeah, but fair enough. They do use what, five different guns over the course of the day, so they they sort of you know they forget. Thumb hole, but I guess the GRS one is lends itself to you've sort of only got one option of grabbing it the right way. Um, and the poor bloke who did try and use it left handed didn't Struggled. shoot so well. And then we changed the gun over and he went, he shot quite well. So that's better, yeah. Good, good for him. That was there. Um, the other one that I was going to uh, bring up with you guys was a question from a listener. Now, I I cannot remember where this guy asked me from, whether it was Facebook or email. Anyway, the question was, um, does muzzle brakes? Uh, do muzzle brakes affect accuracy? So a, I'll put that to you. It's a pretty broad question. I think it was one we can't just answer quickly, but they can. Yes, they can affect accuracy. Yep. Um, negatively and positively, depending on the rifle and how it's fitted. Mm-hmm. I've seen muzzle brakes that are, are fitted incorrectly, where they might be the thread might be cut off center or something like that. Yep. Or um, if a hole, like the clearance holes through the through the brake, are not large enough. Yes. Um, yeah. Not even to the degree of the bullet hitting them, but just not enough clearance. Um, mm. It can affect accuracy. But then again, I've seen rifles that have had a brake put on them shoot more accurately. So whether that's due to the brake or whether it's um, making the rifle easier to shoot, probably 
what is interesting is the most accurate rifles in the world don't utilize them in you know short range bench rest rifles yep now why that is i'm really not sure i mean normally speaking they're quite heavy rifles and they're only shooting very light bullets for the caliber so recoil is not an issue yeah I was, and I the way they set up way. you know the way those rifles are set up they don't jump off the bags you know they recoil straight back and yeah it's yeah rarely is it a problem whereas if you had say a 300 ultra mag or even a 300 wind mag or a 308 it you know for a lot of shooters that are not particularly experienced you know mm. you put a brake on it and their accuracy improves now i don't know whether that's improving the accuracy potential of the rifle or just how that or person shoots it improving the shooters yeah but i mean yeah I, I don't use them on all of my rifles yep but i think they've got advantages definitely hmm. so yeah you had a had a brake put on your 243 greg Can yeah you, what's and, your experience with that well my experience is on the positive side so since i've put the muzzle brake on mind you i'd I don't have any clear data prior to because I didn't do load development prior to. So I muzzle braked it and then did load development and I actually come up with some really good results and very consistent results and I I couldn't be happier with that rifle. So that might be a combination of, you know, obviously, um, you know, the whole reloading, the comfort factor in terms of, because it really does feel like a 223 to shoot, you know, it's it's quite, quite nice to shoot. Um, so yeah, no, my, my experience, although not vast is, is on the positive side. One, uh, actually just, I've just remembered it now. One of our listeners, our regular listeners does a lot of shooting sort of in the, out the Northern part of Adelaide. He, um, he had a brake fitted to, I believe it was a 243 Ackley. Yes. And, uh, he had some interesting issues. I'd have to, to uh, follow up with him how he went with that, but. What he was finding was that uh, it was, you know, it's a very accurate rifle, but he would would shoot, take the brake off, put the brake back on, and then find he'd have a point of impact shift, considerable point of impact shift. Mm. And, you know, in a you know, not so accurate rifle, you could probably write that off as just sort of inherent accuracy mm. of the rifle, but, you know, he's an experienced enough shooter with his rifle is known to be accurate, that mm. it was a definite repeatable and I think from, issue. from memory as well, he did post a photo with the muzzle brake off that had a fairly, I'll say, ugly-looking crown on it. Yeah, um, it was a little unusual the way yeah. it had been fitted. I I sort of, I did speak to him about it, about how I would do it. Mm. Um, I still can't work out why, with no other change other than taking the brake off and then back on, he would get an impact shift. Mm. Um but I think the nature of that crown too is getting a big build-up of Car- uh, huge build-up of carbon. Huge build, on it. very unusual build-up of carbon. Yeah, um, it was. So yeah, a little bit odd. I think there had been a couple of different people involved with the process of that break and the way it was mm. went from being standard to what it is now. So yeah, yeah I think so, uh, I sort of suggested to him that what I would do, and I, mm. I don't think he's had that done yet. But yeah, it was an interesting phenomenon. I've never seen that with a break before. Normally, you will see a point of impact shift. Yep. Um, but often, well, I've never witnessed a, a degradation in accuracy unless there's been a really poorly fitted brake. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah, long story short, if the brake is fitted well, you you shouldn't see a, a loss of accuracy. If mm. anything, you get an improvement. You may see an improvement. Yeah. More perhaps based on the shooter than it is on the, the gun itself, we think. Probably. Yeah. I mean, it would be 
the, the subjective test of that would be to get a like a bench rest gun, put a brake on it, and and see. Hmm. But I guess we'll have to chase up a few of our bench bench rest shooters to find that out. So. Try and convince them the brake's the way to go. They're probably not allowed to. Oh, most rangers, most rangers, they allow. No, but I wonder if it's in the bench rest rules. Probably well, interesting. Could find it out, I guess. Hmm. I guess if any of our listeners know. Yeah, let us know. That would so. be very good. Mm. I'm not entirely sure we get a huge amount of Bentress shooters listening to the podcast, the, the way you've talked about Bentress previously, Andrew. What, you mean the <laughs> average age being sort of 75 or above? <laughs> oh, dear. We're, uh, we're trying to annoy as many segments as we can, it seems. And uh, <laughs> Anyway, we'll continue our quest. Oh, very good. Um, did you guys, or you, you brought it up with me, Andrew, you told me about it, but Greg, did you see about that 1,000-metre group or 1,000-yard group that was shot recently? No, 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 I did not. 1.8? 1.859 inches. Five shots. Five oh, shot. Yeah, you did mention on Saturday. Yeah, that's... Yeah, that's point, point 0.178 MOA at 1,000 yards. 0.178, wow. And I think, uh, if, it, if my memory serves me correctly, there was four shots out of that five were into considerably under an inch. Um, Three shots. Three shots? Yeah, if you, I don't know if you can see that image there, Andrew. I reckon that's yep. three... And then one up there and one there, uh, or thereabouts. Um, it's on, where, where's that accurate shooter? Uh, I think. Oh. Or is that a, anyway, yeah, think, wh- whatever it is, it's um, it's a pretty uh, uh, pretty impressive group. So was that in uh, like comp conditions, or did this individual no, set out to it, achieve this? Was it a practice, basically, I believe, wasn't it? Yeah, that's that's right, and they call it some specific a, a wallet group, apparently, which I don't know what that means, but well, apparently for, it means that it's not um, not under competition. Mm-hmm. A wallet groups are for the uh, yeah the braggers, basically. Ah, right. They carry it around to pull out and show people. <laughs> okay, to prove it. Yeah, but right. What is interesting though is that the rifle that he used it was uh, I think it was a six point five two eight four. That's right. Memory, yeah. but it, it it wasn't in a. Um, you know, a typical you know, massive F class slash long range bench rest rifle. It was it was very no. much a, a tactical type rifle with a surgeon action, I believe. So Sur- surgeon action, Bartland barrel, five R barrel with a um Is that a Macmillan m- stock? It looks Macmillan ish. Um I can't see. Uh it's a it's a single shot surgeon. It's uh oh, it's guess it's it's more along the F class line. Yeah, um, but I mean it it uh, doesn't you to look at that it doesn't Strike you as a you know a five um, five inch wide four end you know yeah, fifty so, pound yeah gun, that's so. true it's a pretty affordable setup too really we are, yeah. you know maybe the action yeah. Well, yeah. For, affordable for you Greg perhaps yeah, yeah. true money yeah. bags yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> good uh, how's the defiance going mate have you had them arrive yet no no oh that's a shame yeah uh, anyway so that's a pretty impressive group that's something to work towards under under two inches at thousand yards from five shots. You've had one of those, haven't you, Andrew? The six, not the group. Sorry, uh, the yeah, six point five. All the time, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's in his wallet. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But the it's wallet's bulging, and it's not from money. <laughs> no, no, there's three zeros here, mate. Thousand yards. Oh, okay. I thought you were yeah. talking about ten yards. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, six five two eight four. Uh, mine was a, a six two eight four. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, right. it's actually my first ever rifle. Yep. Um, but yeah, no, mine was in pretty similar format actually to that that rifle there. Um, I probably shouldn't have got rid of it, actually. It shot really well. It was a good gun, but it, again, was a single shot, very heavy, you know, sort of a 18 to 20-pound gun, so... Yep. Probably Didn't quite sort of, fit in the practical uh, shooting side of things. Well, <laughs> you know, like, like spotlighting foxes in 
Yeah. When <laughs> farmers don't stop, they just chase the fox, and yeah. you're trying to use an eight to thirty-two and a twenty-pound gun off the back of a moving vehicle. It's, <laughs> it's all right if you burn at the gym, you know. Yeah, yeah no, it's all right. You can be <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger, and you're still not going to be able to hit the target. But, yeah. But, uh, yeah. No, no. So that cartridge has sort of come a long way. Mm. Yeah, no, it's certainly uh, certainly a good one. And um, the other uh, other thing that has been in the last couple of weeks is April Fools. Mm. Now, I, I, there's one thing we'll talk about. With before that, Vortex released a new um, a new uh, reticle, which I found quite amusing. Uh, Turkey reticle or something. Like the that, yeah. the twelve gauge EBR twelve gauge, uh, and if you get a chance to have a look at it, it's worthwhile. It's a, it's it's basically a shot pattern, and uh, if you can help, you know, you obviously need to zero it in for your shotgun. Um, but it's probably the best the best reticle I think um, I think they've released. Uh, for that, that is a little harsh, but. No, no, like you know, practical for a shotgun. Well, that's that's I'm not criticising Vortex there. I'm just saying that they've finally responded to the shotgun market, and uh, yeah, it's probably good. I, my my question was, and I didn't, I couldn't confirm this: is is it first focal or second focal plane? But you have to look into that a little further. I think, Rusty. <laughs> yeah, probably should. Should and uh, going on our discussions tonight is it MOA or Mill? But I, I guess I'll, I'll drop them an email, find out. I guess and see yeah. what the story is on their their twelve gauge reticle. Yeah, you do that. Yeah, I will, mate. I'll, I'll, I'll sign off, Andrew. Yeah, perfect. Excellent. And the other thing that we uh, we haven't been able to 100% confirm that you brought up was the uh, the, the new burger projectile that got released on April Yeah, I, I have a feeling that was a little too coincidental and the fact that we weren't really able to find any more information about it. Nothing at all. Yeah. It was um, it a, you know, a, I believe, I have to check, but I think it was a, non-lead core so a copper projector i think that's what they said but with a screw in titanium tip um yeah interestingly it was well it it would have to talk to brian litz about it i when i spoke to brian at uh shot show a couple of years ago and and they were certainly you know it's on the burgers agenda to to get a 50 cal projectile and and larger calibers as well you know the 416s and the 408s and 375 but so it's not out of the realms of possibility but uh i think it's a little too coincidental yeah no i i read the article and i just thought it was an april fool's thing yeah. myself um, the interchangeable tips and all this sort of stuff that's yeah of, and I, I don't think i i yeah rusty's just having a look now but yeah. i can't picture burger doing a solid I, they're so well known for swage, their jackets yeah you know swage lead you know yeah, no jacket. i'm I'm convinced it's April Fool's, mate. I mean, that 12-gauge reticle is definitely 100% true, but this thing, <laughs> this thing's an absolute joke. Well, what if we've got you? any listeners that are uh, working at Burger, maybe you could uh, <laughs> flick us a message and let us know about that. So. I don't know. Don't even bother. I know it's it's got to be. I know they've been working on a 50 cal, but nothing about that reads correctly. Or should that all was... our listeners send an email to Litz? <laughs> you never know. It might Just as a return out. April Fool's uh, gesture. Yeah, well, who knows? Barnes might release that within the next, you know, if they were smart, next week or so, release a, a copper turn projector. Well, I mean, yeah, I imagine they'll probably put a few out the next <laughs> week or so. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I was saying 50 cal, 750 grand. I don't believe they do that yet. Uh, they do. They, they do? don't do any copper ones. I believe they're brass. Oh, uh, right. Uh. Yeah, what about a titanium tip? It's only one small step away. That's <laughs> right. A threaded one as well. If you, uh, yeah, yeah, and and it, the, it says that the thread, will, uh, the tip can be removed, so you can transport them safely without damaging them. Mm. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Sounds legit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sounds good. Sounds good. 
Cool. Well, um, I guess we will finally get into our topic for this evening, um, which is talking about MOA or MIL. Now, we alluded to this on the last podcast that Andrew and I did together. Um, we talked about first focal plane, second focal plane. And second to that, this is probably my most asked question uh, on scopes. Um, and it's always an, an interesting one to... Uh, to hear people's thoughts on it. So I guess we go around the room, what does everyone use, MIL or MOA? I I sort of have, you know, relatively recently changed over to the the MIL system mm-hmm. because it's, for, for me and the sort of shooting I've, you know, developed into doing predominantly, it's it sort of suits me better and I think it's easier system to use. Um, having right. said that, there's nothing wrong with the MOA system either. So I... Predominantly use mill, but some MOA still. Yeah, Greg. Yeah, look, I um, I, I've had a few scopes, and and I've I've had inches per hundred yards. I've had MOA, and and now mill. But now mill for me, I you know I've got a military background, and and use mills a lot for navigation and things like that, and and all that stuff. I just find easy. Just the metric versus angular calculations, like. MOA to understand exactly what a click's worth at distance yep. is a difficult calculation for me. Like yep. It might not be for other people, but to know what like you know one click is at 837 metres, you know that in mil, that's 8.37 centimetres, like straight away, bang. Yep. So for me, it's just an easier system to use naturally on the go at speed. Um, whereas MOA, I've sort of, I've got to estimate it rather than, you know, we do this broad brush estimation of, of you know one inch, one MOA is an inch at 100 yards, but it's not uh, at 100 meters. But it's not. It's no, what's well, it? it's not. It doesn't equal an inch exactly yeah. at 100 yards or meters. Yeah. But that's what I yeah sort of try to and, cut you off. But yeah, but people throw that out at a thousand, and then they go, it's 10 inches at a thousand, but it's 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 not. It's not. <laughs> it's, it's close. A, but yeah, it's, it's not. It's close. But you know, yeah. when you're on that precision side of things, uh, you know, and you want that quick calculation, I can give. A precise calculation with mill easily, and I, I I probably struggle a little bit with MOA. Yep. What about yourself, Rusty? Um. Well, when I when I started getting into this side of things, the, the guys I was around were all running MOA, so I naturally just ran MOA because that's what the the story was, and and I got to know it very very well, and and have made the conscious decision in the last probably two years ago to change to mill, um, because I, I figured I needed to know that. In a, in a very balanced way to be able to do what I do um, because I was training guys with mill and I just didn't have I sort of knew the theory of it but I couldn't do it quickly I, I still got to say that that MOA comes to mean more natural um, if I'm if I'm calling someone's wind I'll, I'll probably get a, a more accurate call in MOA than I will in mill at this stage I'm getting I'm getting better with mill um, mm. and because it's all I'm using now for my own guns Um and so those five rounds I put through on Sunday, a step closer, just keep on chip, chipping away. Um, but those, but using mills more and more, I, I, I understand it, I appreciate it, it's good. Um, but MOI still comes more naturally. Yeah, I find one thing too, a lot of the targets we're using are like two MOA targets at whatever distance. Yep. So, yeah, obviously that's going to suit MOA, so it'd probably be good to go a, a metric version. I think Sean, uh, sorry, uh, STS has started doing... Yeah, uh, Sean STS. Yeah, yeah, Sean STS, he's been uh, started doing um, mill versions. Of yeah, the mill gongs. The mill yeah. gongs. That's right. What so I have, have noticed, though, is even if you've got a, a, a gong that 
is whatever MOA mm. rating or whatever distance, particularly at the range that we shoot on predominantly, they're not set at exact ranges anyway. Or very few of them are. Yeah. Mm. And even if they are, it might be a a two MOA at six hundred meter gong that's sitting at a thousand. Yeah. Oh, it, it, so it doesn't mm. really, to me, doesn't have a lot of bearing on anything because. No. You know, if I'm calling for somebody, calling wind for somebody, mm-hmm. and I'm looking through through either a scope, rifle scope, or a spotting scope yep. with a reticle in it, mm. or some sort of ability to, you know, arrange scale in it, measure it, yeah, yeah, it's pretty quick to make the call. Okay, they're aiming at the middle of that target. That's where their bullet went. It's point yep. eight left yeah, or whatever it is. And first focal planes are definitely the way to go. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean. Mm. You know, I was on on the weekend just been um, mm. looking through that Bushnell spotting scope of yours there, Sam. And, yeah, the, uh, with the H thirty two Horace reticle, which I've just started using. Yeah, yeah, and that you know that was allowing me to make pretty quick calls. Yeah, it's on the fly. Not a bad yeah. little setup, is it? Yeah, yeah. Um, for those listening, I guess we we probably should not assume too much and just clarify the differences between MOA or mil or where they've come from. Uh, anyone want to? Well, I guess that. probably it's worth you know, starting with both of them are angular yep. measurements. Yes. Um, sort of, I guess a common sort of perception people have is that one is metric and one's imperial. Yeah, I not quite true. No, no. I mean, it so happens that the mill system works out conveniently, and that you know, with a scope that says point one mil clicks, for example. Yep. You know, one click is one centimeter at one hundred meters. So. It's, uh, you know, if you're brought up in a metric environment, it's sort of easy to get your head around that. Yeah, but it's all, it also works the same for yards. yards. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 So it's one one thousandth of. Yeah. Yeah. So it can be applied to either in, in, in a metric or an imperial system. It's not, it's not inherently metric, I guess. Yeah, that's right. And and on the same token, like MOA is obviously minutes of angle. Mm-hmm. So I guess what I have heard some people say is that MOA Based scopes with you know adjustments are can be more precise in the clicks. Um, yep. Well, just to just to step it back one second. So MOA for for those who are perhaps not aware, um, if you've got a circle, it's three hundred and sixty degrees, and you take one of those degrees, um, well, minute. So that's one angle, uh, and then minute of angle. Minute's just a way of dividing by sixty. So yep. it's one sixtieth of sixtieth of one degree. One degree yep. uh, is one minute, and then you obviously point two five of a minute, which is a common uh, adjustment, um, is a quarter of a minute of an angle. Yeah, which approximately is is roughly one quarter of an inch at a hundred yards. It's not not exact, but yeah. to give a, a you know a, a ballpark sort of idea of the um, yeah, comparison. A, well, at a hundred yards a minute is. Uh, well, one point oh four seven and some inches, other yeah. yeah inches at a um at a, at a hundred yards, but it, it is fairly rounded to a to an inch to make it easy to yeah. work with. Um, the further you go, the more that that margin of error is there. Um, Absolutely, but just to give a sort of a, a rough understanding, get your head around it. Yeah, yeah. Like, whereas uh, say a mill, you know, point one of a mill, one centimeter, one hundred meters. So it is a slightly coarser adjustment, if you like. Yep. It is, um, but there are scopes out there. And now back to your point about MOA often having the reputation for being the more ac- not more accurate, the more finer. the finer adjustment because you've got one eighth of a, a minute scopes a lot of target guys will use. Um, but there are point oh five click adjustments for mil as well. Yeah, they're certainly not as predominant, but um, mm. 
and you've got to think of the, the applications for a scope, and I don't think anyone really has a, a huge advantage by going with a, a really fine adjustment in that way anyway, very rarely. Well, I guess a lot of the F-class guys do it, and the bench rest guys certainly do. Yeah, see, bench rest on, is, uh, I mean, there are some Well, you've already there. offended them, so they've all turned off anyway. <laughs> but they're, uh, you know, like, they're generally scored not on how close it is to a particular mark, it's, it's how tight size. the group is. So yeah. there are exceptions to that, you know, the BR50 and BR30, which is a score-based. Yeah. So, yeah, but it's, I don't think it, it has a, a big advantage. I mean, we've sort mm-hmm. of done comparisons, if you were to look at, say, a, a scope with quarter MOA versus 0.1 mil. Yep. What effect, what difference that is at, say, a 1,000 metres, it's very minimal. Mm. Yeah, and the other thing to consider too is when you sight in a rifle and you get it down, the, the furthest out a sighting can be is half of one click Half a click, yeah. At the worst. So you bring that down even further again, the, the, the gap between the two is even more insignificant. Yeah, yeah correct. I mean, mm. uh, so that, using that information, the most you could be out at 100 metres with a mil click is, what, five millimetres. Mm. So it's insignificant really when you look at all the other factors that... Uh, yeah, long range that come into play. That's yeah, it. absolutely. So I guess in um, this sort of precision rifle stuff is really hit or miss. You're often not judged really on whether how close your, your group size is or anything like that. As long as you're hitting the target, which usually you've got a little bit of margin for error for, um, it's probably not going to make the, the difference. No, and I think um, like we did certainly talk about this with the, the podcast we did about um, you know mill or MOA scopes and you know, which is better, basically. And I think, you know, the, the critical thing there is just to have your reticle matched correctly with your uh, turrets as far as, yeah, you know, yeah. all manufacturers seem to do it and it's obviously market-driven, but, uh, you know, to have a, a mil-dot reticle with MOA turrets, for example. Isn't, yeah, and, and, and I guess a lot of new shooters seem to think they should get a mil-dot because that's what they want. And what they mean is they want something with hash marks they can use to aim with, mm. but they want to get an MOA scope because they, they're familiar with sort of an inch at 100 yards being a being a measurement. Um, and and perhaps it's just often they end up with one, but it's their terminology that is perhaps wrong is that they just want something that they can use with graduations in it to yeah. achieve what a mil, mil dot scope will achieve. But they um, they just use the term nil dot and that's what they end up with, yeah. which doesn't, yeah. Well, I've seen a lot of shooters use mil dot reticles um, and where they don't necessarily, you know, particularly in a second focal plane scope, mm. they just they leave it set on the whatever power they want to use it on, and, and they don't actually, they just use it as hold-off points, basically. They're not using yep. it you know, yep. to the full potential of the reticle. And For sure. They probably don't know any different and probably happy, but uh, they're certainly the more you... you more know, into of, it you get. Yeah, you can you know, fully utilise a reticle by having turrets that actually match it. makes it a lot easier to call mm. wind and that sort of thing. Yeah, it's probably a... Um that's probably another discussion, isn't it? Reticles and reticle designs. Um, it's probably certainly worthwhile chat and see what we like. But mm. anyway, but back to back to mill and MOA. Um, so, Greg, have you, have you have you found going from mill to MOA when you have tried MOA more? Is it well? I, I sort of went through MOA to mill. Oh, um, okay. So you've yeah. done the same the same path we've done then. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, when I did up. When I did upgrade, though, I went to mill, and I, yeah, I'm I'm pretty happy I did it. But essentially, you know, they're the same thing. But I just felt more comfortable in terms of doing those range calculations that yep. I talked about before. Yeah. Just for me, it's you know, it's just an instantaneous thing. 
Um, and that just feels really comfortable for me because I can just, it, it's just a natural fit to the way I think is, mm. is probably the best way to put it. And um, yeah, so I've, I've lent towards that just purely for a comfort and uh, comfort of calculation. Um, so yeah, that's, that's why I'm on the, the mill. So one thing I sort of found the scopes that I've used that are, are still MOA based are generally speaking the ones that I don't adjust. Um, you know, like a oh, yeah. rim fire or Actually, just a, 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 a typical same. closer yeah. range hunting gun where you zero it and you put the caps back on and you leave it. Yep. You know, and sort of a, on a hunting gun that you're you know, predominantly shooting pigs or goats with it, maybe 300 metres tops. Doesn't make it yeah, massive. Yeah, you're, not, you're just mm. holding over and mm. you don't have that sort of concern. But if you're shooting a 1,000 metres on a you know, rabbit or something like that, yep. different story. Mm. Have you, uh, have you um, been using both systems at the same time much no because anything all any rifles that i've i've had and still have with with moa yeah i don't you know they're the reticles i've got in them are not graduated reticles generally they're basic reticles for you know applications yep. where you're not utilizing the reticle really I, um yeah but um i mean are you having like if you got three moa tactical type scopes and then three mil scopes are you swapping between them or have you gone everything mil well for the stuff that i adjust yeah and yeah, yeah, talking, all, talking all just the stuff you adjust yeah, yeah okay. mil, because it just it saves that confusion of you know not, i don't actually think there's one's better than the other yep. I, I just think that if you're making wind calls and you're trying to familiarize yourself with with wind in particular yep elevation is not so critical but if you're trying to look at a at a target at any given distance and make a wind call if you mm. if you're trying to run mill and MOA in your head, you're really asking for trouble. Yeah, yeah. certainly. And I, I'm just curious because I I changed over from MOA to mill sort of slowly as I could afford it. And it, mm. it, it sort of um, did my head in for a little while there, trying to remember what what gun I was using, what scope I was using, and mm. and yeah, you know, you're going, I was am I used to mill, and, and that's where I think it took me a bit longer to 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 change over to mill than. Um, perhaps it should have because, um, yeah, I had I was running several scopes at the time and and yeah, slowly worked my well, way to. You couldn't a convert mil. after fifteen-ish years of MOA to mill overnight. What's the matter with you? Yeah, I know. Yeah, sorry. Well, if you if you dropped <laughs> amateur every, amateur, well, wasn't it? Sorry. Yeah, that's correct. You are, but um, if you were to well and truly, if you were to change over everything in the one hit. Mm. It's a different story, but if you're running half and half because you've only changed over yeah, half your scope, that's the problem. Yeah. So I guess I guess from that, it, and I was trying to see if anyone else had experience on that. But if you if you are going to go with one, stay with one. Mm. Um, and, and if you're going to buy a second scope, don't go. Oh, you know what? I'll try. I'll try a mill and this one, and I'll try a more on that one. I'd, I'd really suggest just stick with whichever one it is mm. that you're it's comfortable with. Yeah. One sort of sort of I guess scenario which I've noticed a real. It's you got to get your head around it. Is yep. when we've we've been running courses or or practice days, long yep. range days, when you might have four or five guys down on the mats in front of you, yep, running a variety of different scopes, yes, and mm. all wanting wind calls, and you're looking through a scope, a spotting <laughs> scope. If you don't have a reticle in there, you've got to try and guess. Or if you do mm. have a reticle, it's usually in mills. Yeah, you've got three guys asking for MOA corrections and two asking for mills. Oh, see, see what happened on Sunday is, is um, so I I ended up my Vortex uh, spotting scope, I've got an MOA reticle for that, 
So I could put that in, and my Bushnell is a mil um, scope. So that way I was able to have two scopes, and the guys would just have to wait for me to sit between that chair and that chair, depending whether they wanted a mil or an MOA reading. Um, and that that was certainly easy having, and that's why I bought them like that, because they end up with one in each category, and that way I don't have to remember exactly what it is. I just look at the lines and say you were this much low and this much to the right, mm-hmm. and hope I get I remember which scope I'm using. But yeah, that was far easier to work out. Yeah, good point, but can be difficult if you don't have that luxury. Mm. Well and truly. Yeah, and that's where I often found, certainly previous to having that option, is just running a, a no reticles and just saying you were three targets to the right because yeah. that was the easiest one that we could, you know, we're both talking the same language then because yeah. you can see how he, the shooter, he or she, can measure how far that target is mm. and then apply it. Uh, in yeah. terms of mill or MOA, probably not as precise, which I guess is you know for a lot of Certainly applications, not. Mm. yeah, not real big deal. But yeah. um, you get them on target though. Yeah, one one thing I'll be interested to see will be with the the precision rifle invitational coming out. What we uh, what we get as far as a mix of MOA and mill, and yeah, how the true. shooters go. I don't think there's going to be a necessarily a a bearing on how they perform, but uh, no. be interesting to see. No, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not, I, I think there's such a, such a disparity of of uh, skill level coming along that you mm. it'll it'll be it won't necessarily come down to the gear by any stretch. Yeah. It'll certainly come down to the shooter. Yeah, and I don't I don't believe that you know, two shooters of identical ability, one with MOA, one with mill based scopes. I don't think there's going to be an advantage either way. No, so. no, I certainly agree. So. Yeah. Well, in your guys' experience, is the the difference between the two scopes stop you from hitting the targets you've been going for? No, no. no. Just I, I yeah. stop myself from hitting yeah, the targets. Yeah. Nothing to do with the scope. But I know that feeling. <laughs> that's the same for anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Really. It's yeah. Very, it's all shooter error, really. Yeah. Unless you have a mechanical issue with your scope, but uh, yep. Mm. Yep. Unfortunately, I haven't had too many of them. Yeah. Mm. Which has been uh, which has been good. Well, guys, I reckon that's probably about a. About it on the mill and MOA topic for now. I'm sure we'll address it another point. It, there's always more to talk about on it. Has anyone got any final thoughts or anything? Not uh, not to come to mind, Rusty. I guess what I'd probably say is uh, sort of still welcome any questions that come in. I mean, there's, uh, you know, we're really sort of keen to address any uh, specific topics that people have. So yep. Keep them coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good. Too late for an April Fool's joke, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. There goes. There goes the last item on the agenda. Anyway, very good. Well, um, we are looking forward to this. Uh, the comp coming up in a well week and a bit. Week and a half. Yeah. yeah. Not even. So, um, I think our next podcast is going to be after that. Um, if we're still awake or alive. Um, still. Uh, yeah. Um, or you anyway, Sam. Yeah. I know you've been running off your yeah. It's good off fun. Off your feet, getting all this organised. So yeah. But yeah, so we'll be able to have a rest afterwards. It would be not, not a chance, mm. mate. We've got Sydney shot and shot oh, that's <laughs> that's to worry about after shot. that. So yeah, and then just a reminder for for those who didn't hear on the last one, we um, Greg and I are going to be over in Sydney in June for the shot uh, shot expo, and certainly uh, hope to um, catch up with some of the guys. And what is actually on that same weekend? Um, unfortunately for us, because then we can't go, is the Victorian practical rifle shoot is mm. that same that their next shoot is on that uh, weekend, um, which I'm disappointed for because I was keen to get over there. But the next one is uh, August, so I don't know if you guys are interested or keen, but I reckon we should probably try and get a few uh, few of the Adelaide guys to 
convoy over or if there's enough we'll get a bus or something i'll find yeah. that date hold on definitely be keen to uh, to go and have a look at least and yeah and same I'm, I'm hoping to have that six by 47 done so that might be a, a bit of a maiden voyage for for that setup too yeah, show the victorians how it's done i hope so yeah <laughs> hopefully not showing them how to come last <laughs> well you'll be showing them something but either I'll, way I'll be, I'd, look i'll be honest just just be happy out there having a shot, you know. Yeah, be be good. Well, that's all we can ever yeah. hope for, isn't it? Yep. Um, okay, so August, so June twenty sixth for those guys who aren't going to Shot Expo. Um, it would be wonderful for you guys to get over, uh, get in touch with Jared at the Victorian Practical Rifle Series. Uh, you can find him on Facebook. Uh, but the August twenty eighth uh, is the one after, um, and yeah, I, I think perhaps we should tentatively. Uh, sort of think about heading over and I know it's ages away but if you are sort of pretty keen to, to head on over and we maybe either convoy or bus it or do something I know the guys said we can stay on the range um, so maybe drop us an email or a Facebook message say that you're interested and we'll see we'll see what numbers from Adelaide are like and um, see if we can go join the Victorians over there and, and watch Greg uh, show them how it's done hey, certainly Greg? certainly yeah watch and learn <laughs> <laughs> I love you, love your confidence, mate. That's, yeah. uh, that's actually, really I, I, yeah, it's false advertising. But anyway, we'll see how we go. Yeah, it'd be good fun to uh, to watch you watch you do something, whatever it is you do. The other one that was the um, the wanted to mention was the NT guys had their shoot on Sunday, uh, which went very well. Um, and yeah, it has some excellent photos. So that was probably worthwhile looking at. And the other uh, their dates as well. No, I can't find their dates quickly. Anyway, we'll update that on the next one for those guys who are in Darwin or can get to Darwin for that one. That'd be brilliant. Yeah, they've certainly got a good facility up there. So yeah, you've shot up there, haven't you? Well, I used yeah. to live there, so yeah, we. Uh, yeah, you used pretty... to live on the range. Wow, that's effectively pretty, that's not, bad. <laughs> not a lot else to do unless you're into fishing. Yeah, so no, we uh, yeah used to use it as certainly an underutilized facility at the time. So hopefully, there's a bit more uh, patronage mm. of the facility now. So yeah, it'd be good. Excellent. All right. Well, I reckon we've uh, waffled on long enough, and uh, we probably should uh, should finish this up and uh, look forward to talking to you guys all again after we've um, expended all this energy at the uh, Invitational and uh, look forward to reporting on it. I think it'll be good. Thanks for coming in, guys. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. All right. See you later. Thanks for listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast. To continue the discussion, check out our Facebook page. And for more information, head to our website, www.precisionshootingpodcast.com.au. This episode was brought to you by Impact Dynamics, advanced training for the precision shooter.